This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, the business station. Inside Story on BFM 89.9. Good evening. This is Sharad Kutten. Tonight we're talking about Pakatan Harapan's fourth term in Slangom. What have they done in the past? What have they missed? Where can they improve in their fourth term? Now, to talk about uh, this, we have in the studio with us uh, Elizabeth Wong, a former Bukitlanjan Assembly person and member of the Slango State Exco for about a decade. But we want also to hear from you. Are you happy with the Slango State Government's performance? What problems would you like to see them solve? You can call us on 7733-2900, tweet us at BFM Radio, or send us a voice note or WhatsApp at our U-Mobile number 018-789-8899. This is Inside Story. It's uh, eight minutes past six. Um, uh, with me in the studio is Elizabeth Wong, Elizabeth Wong, uh, a former Bukitlanjan Assembly person and also member of the State Exco from 2008 when uh, Pakatan first broke uh, the stranglehold uh, that Barisan National had and uh, continued to be part of the state leadership until 2018. Uh, Elizabeth, you did not stand uh, for elections in the last state election, so you are a free person, I understand. <laughs> Hi, Sharad. Uh, nice to see you again. It's <laughs> great to see you always. Uh, Elizabeth, okay, let's start with the fact that you're no longer an elected rep and maybe for that reason you can speak more freely. Uh, you're not representing the state uh, today. Is there life after politics? Oh, definitely. I think there's so much to do after politics. So what I've been doing is, well, apart from, you know, a lot of uh, things that I would have done in the past, such as music, you know, meeting friends. So I'm doing a lot of that, but... I now have a little bit of time to sort of upskill uh, some of the th- on some issues that I'm concerned about, like environment, climate change. So it, it's been a very good like two three months. And you know, when I look at my successor, you know, I just tell her, you know, be patient, <laughs> and then have a bit of snigger at the back. <laughs> okay, so patience, I think, is something that we have to keep in mind when we talk about what we want government to do, and that's where I think your contributions to this conversation are essential because we can dream the dreams we want to dream about what the state state government can do. But there are limits, in fact, to those dreams. There are limitations, right? So, but before we get into that, um, have you been doing some soul searching? Do you know if the government of Slango has been doing some soul searching and reflection about the fact that it's one of fourth terms? It's an extraordinary fact uh, in today's rather volatile politics that we have. Um, what uh, were the accomplishments, do you think, that were made over the last 15 years when Pakatan, you know, kind of swept to power in 2008? Uh, well, you know, I would say the last 15 years, I mean, I, I was part of the government for 10 and then I was the head of the back, backbenchers for the next five. I, I think some of the Pakatan uh, Harapan or at least, you know, Kaadilan, the party had some kind of uh, vanguardist uh, tone to its uh, rule in Selangor when it first became government. Meaning so, it wanted to take a leading role. yes. I didn't want to follow what federal government wanted us to do. And of course, in 2008 especially, federal government was very hostile to us. So we decided, look, let's do things that we said we wanted to do when we were activists, when we were in the party, and let's see whether it can be done. So at the beginning, especially in the first time, you can see that we experimented with uh, uh, changes to the law. We introduced new laws. So, for example, some of the new laws, uh, freedom of information enactment. So that happened during the first term. No other state or even federal government could think about that. We decided, we decided that uh, it was important. Uh, the late Tan Sri Khalid said that it was one of the promises he made in one bar council workshop. <laughs> that time he went for bar council workshops. Uh, and uh, so we decided that we had to do it and we went ahead. Uh, we also made inroads into Orang Asli land, uh, land rights. Uh, we recognised and gazetted many lands. Uh, what else? Uh, we amended the Selangor Forestry Act to, uh, for example, include public hearings if there is a need to uh, de-gazette forests, for example. And then 
this policy about replacing forests that need to be degazetted for public interest. So these are things that, you know, federal government could only imagine and we decided that we had to go ahead. So, I mean, these are policy issues that I think are important to, you know, any government. And, and also just us as human beings, we need to breathe, right, clean air. Yeah. But I, I'm not going <laughs> to nitpick on some of those issues. I, I think what I'm trying to capture here is the fact that in your first term, there was this fire, and it may be animated by the fact that some of you came from an activist background, from civil society, you yourself a human rights activist. Um, so, but did that change over time? Second term? Third term, what was happening? What did you see in terms of a transition in motivation and imagination? I think, to be honest, uh, after 2008, so we saw a lot of people joining the party, Parti Kaadilan, uh, DAP, and early on, you know, when PAS was part of our coalition, a lot of people joined PAS. And uh, you could see that uh, they were not around prior to 2008. They were not even part of the reformasi movement, so to speak. And, you know, eventually over time, after 10 years, after 15 years, uh, we can see quite a few what we would call career politicians. That means they, are, they don't have an agenda for being in politics. I mean, I have to be very frank. Why am I in politics? Personally, I mean politics because politics is a way, a means to achieve certain ends. And these ends are, you know, for example, to make amendments to law, to make, you know, something better in society. Uh, but these days, <laughs> people join politics because they want to be YB, they want to be MP. Why do they do that? We, I mean, sometimes... I question them as well. Well, they're clearly rewards, I think, for being in <laughs> uh, the architecture of governance. I will come back to that issue, but we want to hear from you. Are you happy with the Selangor State Government's performance? What problems would you like to see them solve? You can call us, double seven double three two nine hundred. send us a voice note, or WhatsApp us at 018-789-8899, or tweet us at BFM Radio. Because freedom matters. BFM 89.9. It's 6.16. This is Inside Story. I'm Sharad Kutin. My guest, Elizabeth Wong, former Bukit Lanjan uh, Adun, and also 10 years in the state leadership of Slango is as an uh, ex-co member, I think involved in tourism, also in the environment, one of the many portfolios that you had. Elizabeth, uh, so we were talking about the question of you know, the transition from a kind of activist feel that the state government had in its leadership to a much more kind of, if you will say generously professionalized, you know, career politician involvement, people who seeing that uh, Pakatan's leadership was stabilizing uh, and perhaps uh, now uh, winning civil servants over, which I think is a very important issue when you want to change things, um, that you were starting to see changes, right, in the orientation of the government. I want to ask you, without talking about Mantri Basars and who they were, because Slangos had three, I think, and now four, right? Uh, three. Three. Three, right? So Khalid, Azmin, and, and now Amiruddin. So let's talk about the, um, the shape of things. What prevents career politicians from being creative, from, you know, developing innovative policies? Is, is there a barrier if you come from that man mindset and not from an activist mindset? I think there has to be some kind of transition. I mean, if you, if you, let's say you're an activist, so you have, say, human rights background, you have, uh, you know, you're concerned about uh, social economic issues, then you, you're in politics because you want to pursue, uh, you know, politics as a means to making people's lives better, for example. If you're a career politician or professional politician, I like the way you say that, <laughs> um, you know, you are in there for different reasons. And so the party would have to have some kind of uh, training program for them, for example, uh, to let them know for, you know, what the party is concerned about. I mean, the party is, is not a professional, uh, you know, corporation. It is a political party. So in order to link, you know, the, the professional politicians uh, to the regular person on the street, you know, we would try to organize uh, workshops, training. You know, how do you how do you address certain issues? What are the issues that are important to the party? So you need that transition. It's not so easy. I think if you're an activist, it's easier for you to slide in. 
right, to, you to might politics. Right, you might come with some sort of ideological commitments. And when I look at Pakatan, you know, um, while each of the parties are distinct, right, so you have Amana with its Islamic background, you have DAP with the more secular background and um, and maybe some form of commitment to social democracy. PKR is a bit more amorphous, I think, and mm. you can you know push back on this, but I, I'm not sure if PKR has specific ideological or even in terms of social policy commitments. If that's not driving the state's agenda, what what becomes the state's agenda, the government in power, what it becomes their agenda if they don't have an ideological foundation? Well, it would be the leadership. So it would mean, like, for example, I'm not, I'm not saying you mean just, the not, just, not just in Selang, yeah. personalities. Uh, it could be, you know, the Menteri Besar or the Exco. It could be a very vocal uh, backbencher or even opposition member. You know, these are the things that could drive policy. So, you know, at the beginning, my first term, uh, in fact, I had lots of arguments with the late Tan Sri Khalid. Lots of arguments. And we were talking about, you know, slamming files on the table. I, you know, I would be storming up because I'm not happy with, you know, so-and-so. things. Like that. But these are the discussions that we need to have uh, when you're in the leadership. You cannot just sit down and and uh, expect, you know, everything to be given to the exco or you just keep quiet if the leaders make decisions. Uh, and I think you need that. And I believe that is going on whether it's in the current exco or, you know, in, at the federal government. So what is interesting now is that this term, uh, this is our fourth term, uh, there's about 70% of new uh, state assembly men, state assembly women. Uh, the exco, I think about 70% of them are new, completely new. Uh, not, not necessarily new to state assembly, but at least new to being government, being an exco. So I think that gives them a lot of leeway. I mean, I'm looking forward to you know, some interesting and creative uh, policies that will be coming from the new team. Okay, okay. Before we get to some some details, if you can mention some of them, on what those creative ideas are and where, in fact, state governments like Slango uh, go to for their new ideas. We have, uh, have some uh, questions coming in. Uh, Sai asks, my bar is set so low that I'm content enough that Slango is unlike some states in the East Coast, with certain religious uh, religions being held higher... Uh, well, at a higher level, right? So what do you think of that? I mean, should people, citizens or denizens of Slango have um, a higher bar or should they set their expectations uh, lower so that they don't get disappointed? Well, it should be much higher. In fact, it should be even higher than the federal government. I mean, th- because this is, as, as, a, as both of us keep talking about, you know, it's the, our fourth term. I would say our first three terms, uh, we have, in fact, set the bar really high. So why has it come down so quickly at such a short time? You know, we were, for example, uh, last term, we were the only state which went out of its way to procure uh, COVID-19 vaccines for its, for its residents, for, for the you know people staying in Selangor. No other state did that. Um, you know, we made such a huge effort. We had free testing, you know, things like this. And... I felt that, especially during the you know COVID time, uh, you know there was a lot of uh, appreciation and you know and for the state government and all. So why did it drop suddenly so fast and so much to be compared to say other states? I mean, in the past we've always been right in front. We were way ahead, even. Uh, ahead of federal government on many policy issues. Now, we're going to come back to the question of, you know, resources needed for state governments to be, in fact, uh, innovative and to push policies. But we have this uh, comment, uh, question, I guess, for you from Dennis, uh, Elizabeth. It says, ask Elizabeth why she's giving up politics. She is still young, (laughs) so what prompted her to quit? Have you quit politics? Hi, okay, Dennis, I have not quit politics. I just didn't run in the last state elections uh, because, one, I felt that it it was time for someone new to come in. I mean, 15 years is a really long time uh, to be in, you know, state assembly. And I'm sure my residents also want to see someone new, not just my face uh, all the time. Uh, Then secondly, I think it's also a bit... uh, I have to say, it's nothing to do with you, Dennis, but generally, I keep getting questions. Why have you resigned? How is retirement? I find that that's a very sexist kind of question because you don't ask that to men who don't run because you assume that they'll still be around these you know, uh, 
male politicians, they assume that if you're female, you've really retired if you're not. So you haven't retired? No, I'm not. I'm very much still in the Central Committee, giving, uh, on occasion, snide remarks on certain <laughs> policy matters. Central Committee of the party of PKR. Yes, yes. Okay, so, okay. so, so, so there is... Uh, the party and then there is the state government and they're two different things though they're connected. I do want to bring up this uh, question that's come in uh, from uh, Kim Kunbun. says, I'm a resident of Bukit Antrabangsa. The current Selangor government has forgotten or ignored the ruling set by the previous MB, Tansri Khaled, that any hill gradient exceeding 30 degrees is banned. Uh, this endangers people living there. I'm talking about development on mm-hmm. these uh, steep hills. Yes. Do you think that's true? Has that... Uh, kind of standard been ignored or breached? As far as I know, it's still... Okay, like this. Uh, During my term, uh, when I was ex-co, there was a ban on development on... uh, We call them Class 4 slopes. It means very steep slopes. For Class 3 slopes, a development was allowed. Any development was allowed, but it must be uh, spaced out, meaning that no high-rise, no high-density... Uh, possibly uh, bungalows or, you know, chalets, those those kinds of uh, development. Would be and allowed. Would be allowed, but it must go through the, what we call uh, Jautan Kwasa, uh, Has, uh, uh, Jautan Kwasa Alamski, I'm out of state government for like three months, <laughs> I've forgotten. The it's called KSAS. So this is a special committee which looks into development issues at uh, environmentally sensitive areas. Right, okay. So yes, well, yes. well uh, just, uh, Elizabeth, just to kind of uh, uh, reiterate, Dennis has come back to say, oh. we want you to be seriously involved in the oh, Slanga no. government. That's, oh, that's you're a so for sweet, you. Dennis. Dennis, are you from Bukit Lanjan? Did you, uh, did you have Elizabeth as your uh, elected rep? Now, uh, remember, you can uh, chime in on this conversation. We're asking you, are you happy with the Slango State Government's performance? And what problems would you like uh, to see them solve? You can call us on double seven double three two nine hundred. You can send a voice note or WhatsApp us at 018-789-8899 or tweet us at uh, BFM Radio. Let's just um, come back to the question of okay, professional uh, politicians. Um, you know, but you've, you've tempered that uh, kind of um, uh, scenario with saying that actually today you're excited about the new lineup and you're saying new ideas are going to come. But before we get to that, uh, where do you think and are they addressing the gaps? Did you see gaps in the way that Slango has been governed the last 15 years? Mm, I, if there were gaps, I don't really, f- I, I didn't really feel it. Uh, Back then, you know, in 2018, when I left uh, the EXCO um, and uh, say now, I think the gaps were quite, uh, quite minor and nothing to be very concerned about. I think, you know, novel ideas, creativity, that actually pushes the state uh, policy making forward. Um, You know, sometimes if someone is around for too long, you know, we tend to fall back to something which is very comfortable, very safe. Uh, I think new new people, uh, new aduns or, or excos, you know, they have the capacity to think beyond status quo. So that's why I meant uh, when I said uh, I'm I'm very excited, and we have some some really interesting new excos. Uh, so, for example, I want to give some names like Doctor Farminga. Uh, he's uh, you know a professional. He was part of the state uh, uh, smart city, you know, outfit. He did quite a lot of interesting uh, digitalization uh, projects in the state. So we can see some. I expect something interesting from him. Uh, also, Jamalia uh, YB Jamalia, who's the Adun for Bandar Utama. She's in charge of environment and health. Um, okay, let's yeah. just talk about the environment because actually the last 15 years has not been without controversy, right? So if you look at the <laughs> Kuala Langat North Forest Reserve, I think yes, I, you yes. know I'll bring that up. But, um, you know, okay, there have been lapses, don't you think? Would that be fair to say, very, succinct, you know, very simply admit that there have been lapses? Uh, nothing, I mean, for me, is if let's say, okay, for example, if Kuala Langat North Forest had had been diggers that had gone ahead and, you know, today there's nothing there, I would say that's a huge lapse in their judgment and their decision. But it didn't. The state government listened to 
you know the 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 criticisms from not just from the people of Selangor but also from the state assembly men and women who protested in the state assembly i think that's a that's a good thing you know, you have the government who is accountable not only to the voters but also to the elected rep so i think that's a good thing Okay, so a win for Slango on that. Okay, <laughs> I'm speaking to Elizabeth Wong, former Bukit Lanjan Assembly person and also former uh, Slango State Exco uh, for three terms. Well, ten years, two, ten, term, two, two terms, terms. Two terms, two yeah. terms. Now, are you happy with the Slango State government's performance? What problems would you like to see them solve? You can call us double seven double three two nine hundred. You can send us a voice note or WhatsApp us at 18 8899 or tweet us at BFM Radio. Bring forth Moolah, BFM 89.9. It's 6.38 and you're listening to Inside Story. I'm Shorad Kutin and we're discussing the state of Slangor, the Slangor state, um, both of them actually. Uh, are you happy with the state that the that Slango is in and the government's performance. So what problems would you like uh, to see them solve? You can call us double seven double three two nine hundred, or send us a voice note or you can WhatsApp us at 018-789-8899 or tweet us at BFM Radio. Helping me with this conversation, I have in the studio uh, Elizabeth Wong, former Bukit Lanjan Assembly person and also with the Slango State Exco for 10 years, primarily covering environment, uh, tourism and what was it? What, what uh, other, Orang one? Asli. Affairs. Freedom of information. Okay, so a huge number of portfolios under in your brief, uh, Elizabeth. But okay, let's come back to uh, the question of how this government, going into its fourth term, are we looking at more innovation, more creativity, more energy and passion, or are we going to be looking at complacency? Because it's got a huge um, um, part of the state assembly knocked back a bit uh, after the last state election, um, but I don't know if it's significant enough to change the dynamics. Now, let's just look at some of the question, uh, sorry, comments that have come in. Shah, you're right, Slango can do better. MB is too weak, not reflecting Slangoian standards, or the standards of Slango. Um, Shah, I don't know what you mean, but maybe you can clarify what you mean by those standards. But uh, Elizabeth, what do you make of this? What do you think people want? And is the MB weak or strong? And how do you measure that? I I think the the current Menteri Besar, uh, YAB Amirudin, is someone that you can depend on. I mean, that's how I see him. He's very dependable. He's very stable. He's very solid. Uh, let's not forget, he actually has, you know, 20, 25 years of activism behind him. So he started uh, in the movement when he was still in high school, uh, then in university. He was part of the UBU group. Uh, the University <laughs> Bangsa Utama. Yes, that's right. So that uh, collective uh, had a lot of ideological uh, uh, sort of uh, foundations. I mean, they, they had lots of discussions and, you know, lots of ideas. I, I think he came from a, a quite a good background. And today we can see that he's implementing some of those uh, things that he had you know, experienced or he had learned uh, in the past. So I'll give you one, one solid, uh, one solid uh, example, which is uh, the Slangor plan, the first Slangor plan. No other state has ever done a five-year plan. So we've only heard about Malaysia plan, you know, the, the 12, 12, 12, 13, mm-hmm. I don't know how many. Um, but then in Slangor... There's, there was never a plan. So he took the initiative last year. It took, it took a long time, about one year. And basically, he just structured the whole plan, what he, he and his team, the state government, felt that it was important for the state to do. So it ranged from infrastructure development, uh, transportation, uh, environmental uh, conservation, you know, moving towards solar, EV, so on and so on. We were doing all these even before federal government could think about. Because at that time, and I also experienced it when I was in Exco, lots of infrastructure projects, big infra- uh, infrastructure projects always came top to bottom. It always came from federal government and they would throw it at us and they will force us to do it. And some, we actually have very little say except, oh, let's put a station here. 
let's move uh, the, the, the route a little bit different. So you're talking about the ECRL? Uh, not just ECRL. We're talking about MRT. We're talking about highways, uh, LRT, so on and so forth. It was always thrown to us. It never came from the state. So what Amiruddin did uh, last year was that he gave this uh, five-year plan. And with this five-year plan, he went to federal government. That time was still, um, it was not uh, PH, uh, and said, look, this is what Selengo wants to do. And we had a debate. I mean, how many times can you have, you know, we seldom, we've never had a debate about planning. This is the first time that the state assembly debated about planning in the state assembly. I, I think these are things that are very innovative, very important. Uh, There's oh. something that we we managed to do in Selangor. Okay, so you, you made an argument for Amirudin as, mm. as a reliable and also forward-thinking yeah, leader. I mean, the word for I would use the word solid. Okay, I mean, solid. He's also built so, very solidly. <laughs> but but the question is, coming back to Shah, right, and being fair to Shah, he says mm. he's weak. So what do you think Shah is, What where's his perception of weakness coming from? Maybe it's, uh, maybe he's comparing with the late Tan Sri Khalid or with Azmin Ali, because Azmin is a very flamboyant uh, politician. You know, he's out there. He's very charming. Yeah, you know. kind of roll up his sleeves yeah, kind of politician. Yeah, and, he was doing and, a lot of that. You know, you, you just talk to him and, you know, you, know, you just get enamoured. I've seen this happen before. Uh, the late Tan Sri Khalid, I mean, he was a solid, uh, what do you call this? A corporate, uh, corporate man. man. Mm-hmm. Uh, he, he ran PNB. He ran Gatri. <laughs> so, I mean, I, maybe it's it's that kind of uh, feel uh, the previous two Menteri Basas had. But I would say, you know, Ame, Amiruddin is someone which represents the, the new generation. Uh, he's only for like 40 years old. And let's not forget that. Huh? He's very young and he's got a lot of time left to grow and also to, to be innovative. Okay, let's put it... So there's a question of development and you brought up the plan, uh, the, the Slango plan. But here we have a message from Anon. It says, uh, Slango is developing in leaps and bounds in certain areas, but at the risk of sounding selfish, I think that if my children slash grandchildren are not in the higher end of M40, they will not be able to afford to live in Slango. With the escalating costs of property and uncontrolled commercialization, we will be ousted from our homes. What are the Aduns doing to safeguard us locals and check this? Mm, that's a very long question. It's all it's all over, all over the place. Okay, I'm I'm just going to assume that the person is saying um, that he or she is M40 is a, he or she is afraid of being marginalized until you know they can't be categorized as middle class. And can't live is in Slango. Right? Basically, the cost of living is getting t- is uncontrolled. The development is uncontrolled. Will it, in mm-hmm. fact, start to push people from out, uh, in, out towards maybe neighboring states and, you know, and who, who might mm-hmm. live in satellite states to come to... Um, yeah, I, I think... Uh, okay, this is... Uh, that's a good question. So, what the Slango state government did and is still doing is that they have this thing called uh, Ruma Mampu Milik, affordable homes, which they have to be built in not faraway places, but, you know, places close to, uh, say, in Shah Alam, in Petaling Jaya. So, and those, uh, you know, uh, residential areas or apartments, they have to be affordable. So this is something which um, the, we call them the Lembaga Purumahan dan Hartana Negeri Selangor. They do the planning, and this is actually part of the Selango plan as well. That means that, yes, development must go ahead because in order to for a state to prosper, you must have development, some kind of development. Uh, but at the same time, we also are very mindful that we cannot marginalise and push people out of the state. Okay, uh, we want to have your opinions. Uh, so tell us, uh, you know, are you happy with the Selangor State Government's performance? Uh, what problems would you like to see them solve? You can call us on double seven double three two nine hundred, or send us a voice note or WhatsApp on zero one eight seven eight nine double eight double nine, or tweet us at BFM Radio. Break from mediocrity. BFM eighty nine point nine. 
It's 6.48. You're listening to Inside Story. I'm Sharad Kutin. With me, Elizabeth Wong, former Adun uh, at uh, Bukilanjan. She was the Bukilanjan uh, uh, elected rep. She also was with the state government's exco for 10 years. So she knows something about what governments can and cannot do. So let's take this question, Elizabeth, from Lai. Lai says, as the most advanced state, uh, not much has been done to address the issue of climate change. Is that true? Because we've seen terrible flooding. We have coastal areas. What has Selangor done? And you, in particular, working on the environment portfolio, what can people reasonably understand from the achievements of the Selangor State Government? Okay, I think during my time, uh, the, to, from 2008 to 2018, uh, there were a number of initiatives that uh, the state government did. One was, uh, you know, we were actually, I would say, you know, the first state to put EV charges. Nobody knew that. <laughs> Hardly any EV cars. Uh, e- uh, was forward thinking or wasteful use of no, public funds? No, it was funds. extremely forward thinking. And we even had a special parking lot at the state government office. <laughs> that was like 2017. But apart from that, we also had something called the the blueprint uh, for green technology in Selangor. We had the blueprint for green neighbourhoods, a community uh, framework in Selangor, uh, a few other things. I, I think in terms of conservation and environmental protection, Selangor still leads. Uh, but is it doing enough? Because I think people are concerned yeah. that, okay, you, if, you com- is, yeah, if the uh, comparison uh, is with other states, maybe you're leading. Mm. But is on a global scale in terms Not of yet. what That's can why I'm, I'm, mm. I just want to lay some context. So mm. last term, so from 2018 to 2023, I think we can really see. All of us are experiencing uh, the effects of climate change. There is no doubt about it. So what the state government did, I was no longer exco, uh, but what the state government did was uh, they formed uh, the first climate change, Selangor Climate Change Council. And they roped in uh, very credible scientists to come in to advise the state government on what to do uh, from mitigation to adaptation, you know, a whole gamut. So they had NGOs, they had scientists, uh, they also had people from Kazana, researchers. I, I think that's what's needed, uh, for, you know, for not just in Selangor, I think in, in all the other states. We have to start preparing and we have to start to adapt and mitigate. Um, right now, uh, I would say business as usual, you know, cannot go on. You know, we have to do things like, uh, you know, make better, you know, improve the drainage. It's very simple things. So every time these days, in my constituency, every time it rains, there'll be a place which floods. Every time it rains, trees fall down. And they just—it's just a disaster. It's like a disaster, you know, day after day. So, I think the state government, Selangor State Government, is very mindful of it. Number one, because their councillors and their aduns are getting lots of calls, their MPs are getting lots of calls. Secondly, we cannot continue like this. We cannot have houses being flooded. You know, every time there's a there's a storm. Okay, I would ask you this because you mentioned the question of the kinds of people are drawn in to drive policy making and decisions at the state level. Um, is it enough? I mean, you know, if, if somebody turned to you and said, "Is Slango's policies driven by evidence-based research, or is it done by you know just bling?" Because we have a lot of blueprints in this country, and a lot of it is shiny and new, with you know, uh, and it might attract people, but it might not be realistic. What is the situation in Selangor in terms of generating new ideas, practical ideas for governance? Well, okay. I men- earlier I mentioned about uh, some of the blueprints that, that I did uh, introduce during my term. Uh, those were actually done by professional organisations. Uh, so, for example, the Malaysian Green Tech uh, Corporation helped us do the, the blueprint for green technology advancement in the state. Uh, you know, we didn't decide that. Oh, let's uh, no, let's put some EVs here, <laughs> EV charges here. Oh, let's plant more trees there. No, it actually was a proper framework, uh, with proper researchers and scientists contributing to, uh, you know, the, the policy at the end of the day. And it still happens. So I mentioned earlier about the first Selangor plan. Uh, the Menteri Besar didn't write that plan, <laughs> nor did his uh, exco. But it came from uh, a team of researchers, uh, scientists, policymakers who sat together and, you know, and collated all this information with the civil service and also 
you know, whatever information that we had in the state to come up with the plan. Right, okay. So, you know, we often talk about state-federal relations, and that's something that we touched mm-hmm. on. But this is not the part of it, and, you know, in some ways, that's closer to the hearts of lots of us, which is local council, local government, right? Uh, so Linda has a question that I think maybe is an entry point to that discussion. The Slangon Municipal Council has been in the news for mistreatment of strays and dogs, mm-hmm. uh, even being aggressive and violent towards owners. I think Slango should try to lead the charge in putting in place policies for better treatment of animals. Is that a pri- priority at all? Absolutely. I think this uh, this discussion has been going on even when I was in Exco. And every uh, every time the the Exco for local councils, there's always someone in charge of local councils. Uh, today it's uh, YB Ng Sui Lin from Sakin Chan. So they would naturally address these issues and I think we've been trying to assist uh, many organisations like uh, SPCA, pause. Uh, we try to get them land, and we also try to educate local councils uh, to treat strays better. Okay, I wanted to so treat. So, has the relationship between the state government and local councils changed? I think you have eleven local councils in twelve. Twelve in Selangor. In Selangor. So then the question is, has that changed? From the Barisan National Time, what concrete changes have happened at the local council level and has it been driven by the state government? Okay. The first change that we did in 2008 was we barred any elected state assemblyman or woman and exco from sitting in the council. You'd be surprised, Sharad. In Before 2008, we even had excos sitting in local councils. Uh, and, you know, the, the state assembly men or state assembly women, even MPs, they would sit in local councils. I mean, you and I know why they're there. La. <laughs> it's not, you know, for... Altruistic uh, reasons. Yeah, absolutely. I doubt that very much. Um, but, you know, today is a little bit different. So we have people who are outside the elected circles uh, and they are accountable to the residents. So we, you know, there's actually what we... What we've been trying to do in the last 10, 15 years was we keep telling the residents, the power is in your hands. It's not, you don't have to call the adun uh, when a tree falls. You can call your counsellor. In fact, you don't even have to call your counsellor. There are hotlines. And once you activate the hotline, you call the hotline, someone will come and, you know, for example, take away the tree. It will not happen immediately (laughs) because nowadays storms are everywhere. You know, we have dozens of trees falling. Um, But it will happen. So you don't, we don't, you don't need us as an intermediary because that is actually quite problematic. When we have aduns and counsellors as intermediaries, that's, you like it or not, that's also some kind of abuse of power. It's not your, it's not your jurisdiction to be taking care of local council issues. Okay, so then what needs to uh, needs to happen for there to be a kind of mind shift in on the part of residents uh, of the state that recognise that who to go to and. And what would drive it? Would it be because people have been talking about, you know, having elections for local uh, government and that that would create a sense of investment in who's there and and that relationship. Mm. Are there alternatives to elections? Because I know elections is a big legal problem. It's a political will problem <laughs> as opposed mm. to a legal problem because, you know, you can make a new law anytime. And I'm sure yeah, there's some remnants con- of uh, a local council <laughs> act or local council elections act somewhere in the closet. I'm sure it's there. I don't think it's that hard. But whether it's it can be done today, whether it can be done next term, I mean, that's the question for actually federal government, not so much state government, because that's it. this is actually beyond the powers of the state government. But what we can do is, okay, i just give the example of MPPJ because this is one council which I have a lot of dealings with. Uh, so what they did was, during our term, they started to do things like a lot of um, uh, engagement with uh, residents' association. They started to give funds directly to the residents' association. You don't have to go through the, the YBs or the local councillors. So with this, then you have this rapport, you know, from between the local council and the residents' association. Many times the residents' association, when I was Adun, they will tell me, you don't have to worry. We have already contacted MPPJ. Everything is settled. So this is the kind of empowerment that we want to see happen 
in Selangor, not just in MBPJ, but also in other places. Because at the end of the day, it's the ratepayers that matter. It's not the YBs. We, I'm a ratepayer in PJ, so I have every right to tell MBPJ what to do with their drains, where to you know, stop fogging. Because I, I think fogging doesn't work. Okay, uh, very quickly, with less than a minute, uh, tell us, how do you measure the effectiveness of such uh, initiatives? I, well, I, as I said just now, you know, the, the day that a resident's association tells us, or a resident tells us, don't worry, I've already called the council and the matter has been resolved, I think that is a measure of success. Okay, so anecdotal, not, not hard evidence yet. No, no, no. no, no. Okay. We have to get some researchers <laughs> to do that. <laughs> okay, we're talking about the state of Selangor, uh, whether you are happy with uh, government performance and what problems you would like to see them solve. You can call us double seven double three two nine hundred, or tweet us at BFM Radio. Send us a voice note or WhatsApp uh, at our new mobile number 018-789-8899. Uh, we're speaking to Elizabeth Wong, former Bukit Lanjan Adun and also former State Exco. Bombing frustrated minds. BFM 89.9. It's uh, 7.09 and we're continuing our discussion of um, the state of Selangor. What can be proved, especially as the new government is going into its fourth term? Now, we have a caller on the line, uh, Tong. Thank you very much for calling in. What are your thoughts about uh, how things can be improved? Oh, hi, Gwini. I'm Tong. Um, I have some questions to uh, Elizabeth Wong. Um, yeah. Um, because I heard, I saw from news and I also uh, recently quite concerned about the Rawang, uh, they're going to build three or four incinerators in Rawang town. So uh, may I know why the Malaysian government uh, set the rules, uh, the buffer zone is so near to the residence area, like uh, 300 or 500 meters away from residence and the school is too near. I think the Rawang people is not happy with it. So the other questions that I want to ask is about uh, is that alternative uh, solution for all this rubbish? Because um, we all know, know about waste management. We can do try. There's a lot of alternatives like waste management, do uh, uh, recycle, upcycle from the rubbish. So why don't the government try this way instead of we just jump into the incinerator? Because there's so many countries like Japan, Germany or China, they all people protest against the incinerator. So why why is that the incinerator have have to build so many at one time? Yeah. Okay. So thank I you so much, Tong. Yeah, for those yeah. questions. So Elizabeth, uh, incinerators, uh, neighborhoods that don't want the incinerators, and then the question of alternatives to incinerators. Okay. Uh, thanks very much, Tong, for your question. Okay. First. Uh, we are not talking about incinerators of 20, 30 years ago. Uh, we are actually working on... I shouldn't say we, sorry. I'm no longer in the state. <laughs> okay, stop that. They, Selangor State <laughs> Government, uh, is, doing, is building something called uh, waste-to-energy plants. So what it means is that uh, you know, they capture the energy uh, produced from the burning of the waste and then they tap it and feed it either through the, the electricity grid, uh, which will be beneficial to you know people living around, and also to the national grid. Uh, I think first things first, the current waste management uh, system is not sustainable. Why do I say that? One, we are using very valuable land uh, to be landfills. Two, landfills produce enormous amounts of methane. Methane in, its, in itself is a greenhouse gas, and is, you know, as bad as carbon dioxide. So we always talk about CO2, CO2, but methane is also a major uh, problem, a contributor uh, to uh, climate change. So in doing that, uh, we are solving two issues at once. Uh, one is we are managing our waste efficiently, meaning that very little will go to landfills. Eventually, there will be some, you know, the left, or we call them the fly ash, you know, the leftovers. Uh, secondly, we, are, we have to deal with climate change, and this is one way to do it, and we're producing green energy. Uh, in terms of the question about how far it, it, by law, uh, well, for heavy industry, uh, there must be a buffer zone of at least 500 metres uh, from housing 
to uh, the plant. And this has been, at least during my term, we, re- we made sure that all uh, heavy industry plants uh, have that buffer, 500 metres, if not more. My understanding is this uh, waste-to-energy plant, which is not in Rawang, by the way, it's actually a bit far from Rawang. It's in the constituency of Rawang, but it's not in Rawang town. So if you're living in Rawang, uh, you know, it's not next to you. You don't have to worry. It's actually somewhere, uh, I think it's called Tasik Putri, uh, quite far in. And it's in an area which uh, I, I was informed, in a very big area which has uh, hardly any residents around. Um, that, that's okay. Yeah. The explanations are fine, right? But you, you know, if you take off your slango hat for a yes. while and go back to how people perceive these issues and what their concerns are, I right? Think I think con- Tom has cons- real, real yeah. concerns. I think they're, they're concerned because number one, they have this impression that it's very polluting. So I'm trying to. I, I wouldn't say I want to change your mind. It's very hard to change people's minds, to be honest. Uh, but I just want to state the fact that it's very different from the incinerators of 30 years ago. Today, now we capture whatever is uh, being produced. So instead of it going up in the air, it's actually being captured. The en- then is converted into energy. So that's one. Number two, technology is a lot cleaner compared to 20, 30 years ago. And I think the third, po- the point, the third point is, uh, Sharad, I think people... They get, you know, for, for especially when it comes to waste management, they don't realise the, the issues and the problems that the state government has to uh, encounters or they have to deal with. They think that as, soon, as long as their rubbish is being picked up, you know, three times a week, and that's it, out of sight, out of mind. But it's not. It's actually going into landfills. These landfills are, you know, burning up. They are full of methane. It's not sustainable and it's actually dangerous in the long run. And we cannot keep doing this. We need new technology to deal with today's problems. And, and this is one way of doing it. And one thing, she said that there are three or four incinerators in Rawang. Tong, uh, I doubt that very much. I think maybe two, but that's over many, many years. It doesn't happen over time. Um, so I, I think okay. people need to be, to be more open to technology. She mentioned about uh, Japan. I think Japan has so many you know, incinerators, you don't even know that it's next to you. It's literally just in the neighbourhood. It's okay, next so, to the schools. Okay, so some confidence building needs to happen between communities and the state government when wanting to implement these things. Maybe incinerators conjures up the wrong image yeah. uh, or, or an image from a, from a past, right? Okay, there are many more questions and maybe uh, we can just take this very quick one and it's a big one. Mm. This is from Tenagar. Uh, it says, whether previous government, state governments or the current one, we're still having problems with water. Something mm. that's really affecting us in Slango. How do we start to think about the question of water and what the government has done or not done in Slango about it? Well, first, why is there an issue with water? Because our reserves are very low. Uh, you know, heavy population, heavy use, industries, uh, commerce, everything is in Slango. So, of course, there's a huge demand for water. And the reserves have not been, you know, it should be more. I, th- I think in the last five years, uh, our Menteri Besar, Amiruddin, had worked very hard to increase the margin, at least the reserves, to almost 10%. That's a plus point. But the second thing is this. Our water treatment plants were built many years ago. We, they definitely need an upgrade. How do you get to upgrade these uh, plants? How do you make sure that they use the latest technology? They need money. IS Lango needs money. Today... This is my opinion. It's not the state government's opinion. I just want to put it on record. But I think we are really underpaying for water in Slango. I mean, I'm paying eight ringgit a, uh, a month. I mean, eight ringgit if you, you know, divide by four, let's say. So two US okay, dollars but this is, for a month. This is where there'll be house of protest saying, quoting the cost of living and saying, this is not fair to add costs. Uh, so, yeah. When, in fact, people are under certain pressures, right? That, well, you know, something has to give. So how can you expect Selangor, you know, to upgrade a plant? It takes billions of ringgit. I mean, Selangor is, yes, the richest state in the country, but it doesn't have billions of ringgit to, be, to use for just one plant. So I think inevitably uh, we have to talk about cost. You talk about cost of living, but also the cost of operations uh, has also increased. 
Okay, so some tough decisions need to be made, maybe not popular decisions. Yes. Okay, so... <laughs> so and, and I want to say, I'm not speaking on behalf of Slango government. government. Okay, so <laughs> but we would like to hear from you. Uh, we're talking about the state of Slango. Are you happy with what's going on? What problems would you like to see the government solve? You can call us on double seven double three two nine hundred. tweet us at BFM Radio, or send us a voice note, or send us a WhatsApp on 018-789-8899. Bruce... Freddie Morrissey, BFM 89.9. It's 718. Uh, this is Inside Story. I'm Sharad Kutin. My guest, Elizabeth Wong, former Bukit Lanjan Adun, and also State Exco uh, member for 10 years. Uh, also involved in portfolios like environment and tourism and such, right? Okay, so we were just talking about the difficulty of perhaps selling tough decisions and tough policies to people, right? Um, but uh, sometimes the complaints that come in, and we see this in, um, uh, you know, in the in the messages we're getting, um, is that, you know, when government has an idea, people feel marginalised. So I read Chandran's message. Right, he says, since it was mentioned that Slangor ha- was proactive with Slangor plan, if my memory serves me right, the budget allocation for the Indian community was disturbingly tiny. It's sad. What kind of study or deliberation was made? You mentioned EV charging stations. What about poor Indian society? I'm sorry, but someone needs to address the elephant in the room. Thank you. Okay. Thanks, Chandran. You have given me an opportunity to at least tell everyone the things that Slangwal government has done for the Indian community. Number one, we have special funds for all the Tamil schools, that SJKTs in Slangwal. Every year, you know, we make sure that they have the funds. Secondly, we also have special funds for Hindu temples. Uh, and this allocation comes directly from the state. Uh, third, we also have a special entrepreneurs program. Uh, it's under the state government. It's called SITM. So I think there are many things that the state government realise that they need to address uh, certain community interests and concerns. So Indian community is one of the, the, the key uh, supporters of the state government, I would say. So at no time would it put the Indian community aside. Okay. Now, on a happier note, Christine has written mm. in, so I'm extremely happy with the new Slango MPPJ e Aduan app. Ooh. It's very effective and I got a response within 24 hours. Uh, when does innovation start and what's the next step? I, I think the app has been around for a few years. Maybe people are just starting to you know, uh, to know that it's there. And it's a bit like what, you know, for example, Chandran is saying that we didn't do anything for the Indian community. The budget is very low. But it's, it's always been there for so many years. We've, you know, spent millions and millions of ringgit just, you know, to address some of the concerns of the Indian community. So thanks very much, Christine. And it's not just uh, in MBPJ. Other councils also have uh, different modes of uh, receiving and also addressing complaints. So, as I said earlier, you don't have to go to your local councillor. You don't even have to go to your adun or your MP. You just have to go directly to the local councils and they are there to solve your local issues. What happens when they don't get a response? Because uh, then, ha- then you call the local councillor. <laughs> and then if the, there's no response from the local councillor, then you call your Adun. So that's a, you know, like a... You escalate. Yes, escalate. correct. Okay. Now we have Madhav uh, sent a message that says, please, please, please proceed with the Waste to Energy Initiative. Wow. Domestic waste has been one of if not the biggest source of unused thermal energy we can convert to something useful. Get an infograph ready to explain how it works and how it benefits us. Thanks. Thanks, Madaf. If you go to my LinkedIn account, wow, <laughs> which I just discovered, oh yeah, I can do all sorts of things there after my Adun days. Uh, we actually have, uh, I actually put up a video on how the energy is captured and converted, uh, how waste is converted into energy, sorry. Uh, but as I said, look, uh, you know, technology is very scary. I mean, today people are talking about, oh, how scary AI is, you know, how scary robots are, you know, things like this. Oh, how scary computers are, Google, so on and so forth. But technology is there to assist you. It's not there to make your life very miserable. Otherwise, no one's going to buy that technology. So, uh, you know, I hope that people will be a little bit more open-minded. But at the same time, I think, of course, the state government has to continue its education program on controversial issues or contentious issues, you know, things like water, 
uh, increasing the price of water. Uh, well, I oh, don't know whether they're going to do that, but I'm just saying that you know they have to address these issues. Even even things like uh, you know, some people say, oh, you know, we should have more money at the local council. You know, let me just remind everybody that Selangor has not increased the assessment rates for the last 15 years. <laughs> hint, hint. Okay. I want to ask you this, because you, when you last stood for elections, you got about 86% of the vote. If that's correct, I'm looking up Wikipedia for this. Mm. I mean, you got a huge amount uh, of votes. You know, do people, do you think, just think that their role is limited to voting in an elected representative? What happens to us, the non politician in the governance of Selangor. What would you say to people about their role or responsibilities in keeping uh, the Selangor state government on, on its toes? Well, number one is engagement. I mean, the Aduns and the local councils. Okay, let's talk about Aduns. Eh? They are there so that, you know, you can continue to engage with them. Uh, they, they are your access to the state government. Uh, that's one. Uh, secondly, I think conversations and discussions and sometimes debates have to happen. Um, you know, you don't be afraid to approach your your elected rep. They are there to you know take in all your grouses and your complaints and uh, yeah, and all your suggestions as well. And give them suggestions. You'd be surprised. A lot of residents gave me very good suggestions. So I want to give you an example: uh, LRT line, uh, Kayuara. When federal government wanted to build this LRT line, they didn't even have a station for Kampung Kayuara. It was in my constituency uh, before this. And I said, look, this is the working class. You've got to put a station there. Oh, we can't do it. Oh, because of this and that. So I worked with some local residents who came out and said, look, you can actually pile on River Reserve. And they checked the law and they checked with JPS and they realised, yes, they can. So today... There is a station at Kampung Kayuara, not just because of me, <laughs> oops, but because some residents gave the suggestion to put the piling at the real reserve. So these are things that you can contribute to Selangor. So don't just think that you're there to vote once every five years or four years. Okay, now in Penang, we had something like the Penang Forum. It's kind of more... Uh institutionalized form of civil society or public engagement with the state hasn't always been easy for uh, the Penang Forum in Penang. Uh, and also the question of a weak opposition in the Assembly. Do these things contribute to complacency on the part of the state government? I would say that uh, in 2018, when we only had five opposition members, I mean, wow, you know, it was such a relaxing time. But it only lasted two years. In 2018, <laughs> until Sheraton moved, so then they had you know people jammed and it became bigger. So this this time, this round, uh, it will be very interesting. The budget session, I think, it's in about ten days' time. Um, so you will see a very emboldened uh, opposition led by uh, a former Menteri Besar, you know, who is up in arms and also knows the workings, you know, the workings of the state. Absolutely. Uh, he has managed to charm the civil servants in the past and he will be, you know, making sure that his, uh, you know, the current Menteri Besar, Amiruddin, uh, will be on his toes, I assume. Okay, let's say that the, the opposition has its own agenda and it might not, in fact, mm -hmm. necessarily align with what the public wants, right? They're, they're about power. Yeah. What about the public? Is Does Slango need something like a Slango forum? Is there a need to kind of pull civil society together so that it can uh, work in a systematic way to engage with the state? Sharad, that's a very good suggestion. I'm going to forward that to the Menteri Basar. But it shouldn't be his business to do it, right? It has to be people in civil well, society. Well, you know, they can support it, uh, but civil society can, can do that, can take lead. That's not an issue. Uh, but let's not forget, you know, Penang Forum also became quite antagonistic at some point in time. Uh, sometimes they are very, you know... Yeah, but you yeah. know, I mean, we can't, we don't have time to get into that. <laughs> yeah. uh, but uh, let's just uh, end this with, with some positive notes about where this government can go in, in the next five years that it has. What would you like to see addressed more thoroughly and in a way that will be leading the country? I think one is that I think Selangor can really move forward in terms of climate change mitigation. It can be 
uh, I would say, you know, a test case. Uh, you know, in Malay, it's called Project Perintis. Uh, you know, we have to start doing a lot more mit- climate change mitigation, adaptation. And it has to start. The best place to start is in Selangor because everything is here. The businesses are here. The residents are here. Uh, you know, industry is here. In vulnerable areas. And absolutely vulnerable. I mean, look at what's happening every day. So that's one. Uh, second thing would be digitalization uh, and how we are going to... I think the next big thing is really uh, artificial intelligence. And we are very well placed in Selangor. We have uh, Cyberjaya and, uh, you know, very talented people. I, I think these are things that I'm looking forward to. Okay. Uh, Elizabeth, uh, just to come back to Dennis's point, will you be remaining... Politically active. You've got Twenty seconds on that. Will you be remain politically active despite not being an elected rep? I'm an activist. I'll always be active in politics and activism. Thank you so much. Okay, that was Elizabeth Wong, former Bukit Lanjan Adun, and also she was a member of the State Exco for ten years, covering uh, issues of tourism and also the environment. That's all we have for you on Inside Story today. Um, I hope it's been interesting. Keep your thoughts coming. Uh, we can continue this conversation on how to improve the state of Slango, which we all are in some sense committed to because we live here. That's all we have for you tonight. Uh, I'm Sharad Kutten. You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.